Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of Hebrews. The New Testament book of Hebrews and Hebrews chapter number 4. The book of Hebrews and chapter number 4. We're continuing with our series of the book of Hebrews, my favorite book in the Bible. And what it does, it is an Old Testament commentary through the filter of of Jesus Christ. That in the Old Testament had many pictures and many events that, that occurred, but all of them were ultimately for the purpose of pointing to who Jesus Christ is. And as we look through the filter of Jesus Christ, we can say, look, Jesus is there. Jesus is there. Jesus is there. Jesus is pointed out there. And we could see that this was God's had in mind the whole time to point to who Jesus Christ is. And we find our way to the book of Hebrews, chapter number four. Remember, the book of Hebrews is towards the back of the Bible. So the very last book is the book of Revelation. You keep turning the other direction. Revelation, Jude, 3 John, 2 John, 1 John, 2 Peter, 1 Peter, James, and then the book of Hebrews. So right towards the end of your Bible, the book of Hebrews and chapter number four. The book of Hebrews and chapter number four. Notice with me as we pick it up in verse number 13. The book of Hebrews chapter four and verse number 13, the word of God says this, seeing then we have, sorry, verse number 13, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him whom we do, we have to do. Seeing then we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus Christ, or Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you see as the Bible describes Jesus Christ in his title in Hebrews chapter number 4, Hebrews chapter 4, notice with me in verse number 14. Hebrews 4 and verse number 14, notice the phrase, a great high priest. A great high priest priest. And with the Lord's help, I'd like to explain to you about Jesus Christ being our great high priest. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you, we're thankful for all the folks that are here and we're asking that you would give grace and mercy, that you would help us to understand, that you'd give us a clarity of thought that we can learn more about who you are and that we could respond properly because we know of who you are. I don't want to be a hindrance to these good folks and so I'm asking that you would fill me with your precious spirit, that you would get your own work accomplished, that you would be with me, that you would let me be the proper instrument I ought to be right now, that you can get your work accomplished through your precious word even now. 
speak to hearts, draw people close to you. You do something inside of the lives of every person here to draw them close to you. And in your name we pray. Amen. In verse number 14 in Hebrews chapter number 4, we can see that Jesus Christ is declared as a great high priest. Now we know that a priest was someone in simple definitions to represent the people to God. They were supposed to be the in-between and that they were supposed to deliver what God wanted the people to know and then they were supposed to bring the prayer request of the people unto God. But they were supposed to fill in that gap. They were supposed to be that representation of the people to God. Now in the New Testament, the priesthood is centered around the person of Jesus Christ. Now with that, because we're covering the book of Hebrews, and we know the Hebrews is the Old Testament commentator, let me remind you that Jesus Christ never functioned as an Aaronic priest, meaning from the tribe of Aaron. Meaning that Jesus Christ never went to the temple and he performed the sacrifices, meaning he wasn't doing the priest's job of offering the sacrifices. Jesus Christ never went to the brazen laver and ceremonially washed because he wasn't of that type of priest. He wasn't someone who would put in the high priestly robes and go into the sanctuary to serve God and to deal with the show bread or to deal with the oil in the lamp. He wasn't there. He never uh, went beyond the veil and offered the prayers into the uh, holy of holies inside of uh, that compartment within the tabernacle and the temple. Jesus never performed any of those duties. But yet he is declared as our great high priest. Now this is going to be leading into chapter 5, which we'll speak on tonight, about the order of Melchizedek. We'll talk more about that tonight. And you need to show up to that. That's going to be amazing. And it's going to have a twist in the middle of it that you're not expecting. But here it's declaring Jesus Christ is the great high priest. But he never did any of those priestly things. He never did any of the things that the Levitical line was required to do. He was not a priest while he was here on earth. That was not his job. He was a rabbi. He was a teacher. But he never performed any of the priestly duties. While he was on earth. None of the things that was listed. He never went and served under the high priest. He never did any of those things with the tabernacle or the temple. But yet, Jesus Christ has done more than any other high priest in all of history. Jesus Christ is the one who died on the cross for us. No high priest did that. No high priest was able to forgive sins. No priest is able to absolve you of your sins. Only Jesus Christ. Only Jesus Christ did that. Only Jesus Christ was able. And now Jesus Christ has finished his work on this earth. And has passed on and sitting on the right hand of the throne of God. Where he is currently present tense making intercession to the Father on our behalf. That is what he is doing now. Notice again in verse number uh, 14. Seeing then as we have a great high priest that is passed on to heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Jesus Christ is our high priest and he is currently present tense serving in heaven, giving our prayers and delivering it to him. Jesus Christ is able to do that. He is the perfect high priest. Why is he the perfect high priest? Because he was God and he was man. 
He knows what it's like to relate to God. And he knows what it's like to relate to man. He makes the perfect conduit. He makes the perfect representation between God and man. The mediator, Christ Jesus. Because he knows what man has gone through. He could deliver that to God. And prayers and carry our prayers to him. To God. What a great opportunity and what great privilege we have because of Jesus being our high priest. Now with that in mind, let's look and examine Jesus Christ as our high priest in a little bit more detail. Notice with me first of all, our our high priest sees. Our high priest sees. Our high priest sees. Our high priest sees. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 13. Verse number 13. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and opened unto unto the eyes of him of whom we have to do. In verse number 13, it speaks about Jesus Christ being our high priest and that he sees. What does he see? He sees everything. He sees everything. He knows what you are doing. He knows what you're thinking. There is nothing that you can do that Jesus Christ does not see. There's nowhere you can go. He sees everything and not just sees everything. He sees everything clearly. You know, there are some people that think that they're so small and so insignificant that God doesn't know anything about them. But let me tell you, he sees everything. He knows where you're at. He even sees small little towns like Seymour. And he knows who's all in it. You understand the Bible describes that God knows everything about you. He sees everything about you. He sees where you've been. He sees where you're going. He sees what you're doing. There's no place in your house. There's no place in your basement where God cannot see you. There's nowhere you can go that he loses track. You may have some problems with your GPS. You may get under a bridge, under a building and recalculate and it doesn't know where you're at. But Jesus doesn't have that problem. He always knows where you're at. He sees you and he sees you clearly. Notice again verse 13. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. The word manifest means to make clear, to make apparent, to to, to see clearly. There's not a single person that is not seen in full HD quality. There's not any blurred spots on any person. There's not a blank out mask. So you can't identify. Jesus sees everything. By the way. That is a very comforting thought. But it's also a very frightening thought. Amen. He sees everything. He knows what you're struggling. He knows what you're doing. He knows what you have done. There's nothing you can do to get away with it. We all know us. Maybe you were a teenager. Maybe you know teenagers who try to get away with things. And maybe they've done a good job pulling the wool over their parents' eyes that the parents have no clue what they've done or what they're doing. But God sees. God sees. We can get to the place where we say, I'm doing all this and I'm trying to do all the best I can and nobody notices. God does. 
Our God sees. And by the way, because he sees everything clearly, he also knows what we need. Because he sees everything, he, he knows what we're doing. He knows what we're getting into. He understands our background. He understands everything. He is able to deliver the prayers and talk to God about us because he sees everything. That brings me to a second thing. Not only does our high priest see, but our high priest knows. Our high priest knows. Notice with me in verse 15. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Here we understand our high priest, he knows what it's like. He knows what it's like when we hurt. He knows what it's like when we suffer. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to be lonely. He knows what it's like. Jesus was God robed in flesh. And he dwelt among us. Some people will ask, well, how come when Jesus came down from heaven and robed himself in flesh, why didn't he just come down as a full grown person? Well, the reason is, is because he wanted to experience life like we do. There are different stages in life. Don't you have different issues now than what you had when you were an infant? Yes. You had different needs, different wants. How about when you were four or five years old? Is that a different stage and a different way of thinking and a different way of interacting with the world? Absolutely. How about teenagers? Do you, did Jesus get to experience what it was like to be a teenager? Yes. How about this? Did he as a teenager know what it was like when his mom was wrong and he submitted anyways? Yes. Yes. Jesus went through everything. Our high priest knows. You know, before Jesus Christ came, some people could accuse God of saying, God, you're God. You're always perfect. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what it's like to be a fallible, fallible human who messes up all the time. You don't know. But when Jesus, who was God, robed himself in flesh and he dwelt among us, he took away that excuse. Because he was in all points tempted as we were. He knew what it was like to have a loss of a loved one. He knew what it was like to work a full-time job. By the way, Jesus Christ didn't start his earthly ministry until he was 30 years old. What did he do before that? Did he just live in mom's basement until finally he felt like he could do something? He had a full-time job as a carpenter. He knew what it was like to work with his hands. He knew what it was like to deal with customers. He knew what it was like to deal with people who weren't happy with the work he did, even though his work was perfect. He had brothers and sisters. By the way, his brothers and sisters were not God robed in flesh. They were his half brothers and sisters. His father was God. Their father was Joseph. Can you imagine what it would be like to have Jesus as your brother? And have mom said, why can't you be like Jesus? He's perfect. Do you know he knew what it was like to have unsaved brothers and sisters? His brothers and sisters didn't come to know Jesus Christ as Savior until after he went to the cross. So all of their life, they were not saved. You imagine unsaved brothers and sisters? Do you think 
be children being children, they didn't pick on Jesus. Try to play jokes on Jesus. To try to lie to get him in trouble. I mean, didn't your brother, didn't you try to do that? Or your brother and sister try to do that? Don't you think they being normal kids would have tried to do that? I mean, especially if you're convicted all the time that he's perfect and you're not, wouldn't you like somehow to prove that he wasn't perfect? You know that he even talks about that in the Bible. Later on as grown adults, they are trying to get Jesus to go ahead. Fine, if you're, if you're God, you go to the temple. You go to the middle of their, their uh, celebrations. You just announce yourself. They try to get him to do that. They wanted him to mess up from time to time. He knew what it was like to have a brother and sister. Brothers and sisters. He knew what it was like to work a job. He knew what it was like to be betrayed. His disciples betrayed him. He knew what it was like to lose a good friend. Lazarus died. He loved Lazarus. It was his friend. He knew what it was like to lose a parent. His stepfather Joseph died before he started his earthly ministry. Jesus Christ understood the life that we live. And he was in all points tempted like we were. What does that mean? That means there's nothing of the human experience that Jesus also did, skipped out on. He knew what it was like to go to school. Schools were a little bit different, but there were schools. He knew what it was like to learn a job. He learned what it was like <coughs> to work with a crowd. He went through all of these things. Anything that you went through, he went through. And so because of that, he knows what it's like to be human. And therefore, we can't accuse him and say, you can't, you don't know what it's like. He does. So he makes it the perfect intercessor because he knows what it's like to be God and the expectations of God of perfection. He knows what it's like that he hates sin. But he also knows what it's like for us to be human. And the temptations that we have. And knowing that we fail. And so he's able to make intercession for us. He is the perfect high priest. The perfect intercessor. Now he sees everything. He knows everything. Which brings us to this. Our high priest he sees. Our high priest he knows. Our high priest hears. Our high priest Hears. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. Now, notice that word therefore. Whenever you see the word therefore, you need to see what it is therefore. So, therefore, so what are we talking about? Well, we're talking about a high priest who knows everything, who sees everything. He knows what it's like to be a human. Because of that, we can therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in the time of need. Now, there may be some times that we're not understanding and someone comes up to us. And they ask of us of a need, of a request. And we think their request is silly, it's stupid, it's nonsensical. But to them it's very important. And we don't understand why they need this or why they think they need this or why we need to do it this way. But because Jesus Christ was God and because he knows everything and knows everything about us, 
He knows what it's like when we need grace, when we need mercy. Let's define those terms. What is mercy? Mercy is getting what we don't deserve. Or it's not, sorry, it's the other way around. It's not getting what we do deserve. You know what we deserve? We deserve punishment. We deserve hell. The Bible says, even talking about heaven, that heaven's a perfect place. That's why we want to go there. Up in heaven, there's no more sickness, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, no more tears. It's perfect. But the problem is, is that none of us are perfect. The Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 3 that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says that in order to go to heaven, we have to be perfect. But every single one of us have fallen short of that. Let me give you an example. In the Bible, we have what is called the Ten Commandments, God's rules of righteousness, of holy living. And in the Ten Commandments, one of the Ten Commandments is thou shall not bear false witness. We would say it this way, don't tell lies. Well, how many of you ever told a lie before? All of us have, right? If you're not raising your hand, you're a liar. Every single one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all messed up. We've broken God's commandment. Well, the Bible gives another one of the Ten Commandments. It talks about excuse me, it talks about in the Ten Commandments to honor thy father and thy mother. We would say it this way, that to obey our folks. Well, how many of you have ever disobeyed your folks before, right? Parents are looking, making sure their kids are raising their hand, right? We've all sinned and come short of God's glory. God gave us these rules and we've broken them. We've messed up. The Bible says in order to get to heaven, we have to be perfect, but we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've missed that perfection. The Bible goes on to say in the book of Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. What's a wage? A wage is something we earn. For example, when we go to work, we earn money. Because I work, I get money. That's my wage. That's my payment. Well, the Bible says for the wages of sin is death. A sin is anything I do wrong against God. For the wages of sin is death. The word death literally carries the idea of separation. So if we had a casket here and we would have a body in here, we're performing a funeral. We would say the person in that casket is dead because their body is here, but their soul is separated out. Well, the Bible says because we sin, because we've disobeyed God, we deserve to be separated from God. Now, unfortunately, the Bible only describes that there's two places to go, a wonderful place called heaven or an awful place called hell. Those are the only two options that we have when we die. Well, God never intended a single human to go to that awful place called hell. He created hell to punish Satan and his demons. Then why does man go to hell? Because we've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We don't deserve to be in heaven. We can't go to that perfect place. So there's one other option. You say, preacher, this isn't good news. Well, let me tell you what the good news is. The good news is God finished off the verse in Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, God wanted us to go to heaven so badly that what he did is he robed himself in flesh and came on this earth as the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus lived the same life that you and I lived, went through the same temptations, the same troubles, the same heartbreaks, was in all points tempted as we were, yet without sin. Jesus Christ died on the cross, not having to pay for his own price, so he could pay for our price instead. He died 
on the cross to pay for our wage, our payment. Then he died, was put on a borrowed tomb, but on the third day he rose again. When he rose again the third day, why was that so important? It proved two things. First of all, it proved that Jesus was God, and it proved that God was satisfied with the payment that was made. Now Jesus Christ is living forever at the right hand of the Father, forever making intercession for us. He is going before God, and he's lifting our prayers to us. And because of this, because he knows everything we've gone through, we could go to him in our time of need when we need mercy. Mercy. You know, there's plenty of times we need mercy. You know what time that you need mercy most of all? When you realize that you're a sinner and because of your sin, you've offended a holy, righteous God, you deserve to go to hell. You also learn that Jesus is your only way to get out of hell and so you go to him. What are you going to him and asking for? Mercy. 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 I deserve punishment. The word mercy is a fascinating study. And it comes from the old days. Imagine if you don't mind a king in the middle, mid, middle ages. Maybe even the ancient world. And a servant would come in who was guilty of some of a crime, maybe something against the kingdom, maybe something against the king himself. And so what the person would do is they would go before the king and they would bow down and they would say mercy. The idea of mercy is saying, I'm trusting your judgment for you to do what is best. Sometimes we have the idea of mercy that we say that we want our escape out of jail card. And by the way, it does carry some of that. But it doesn't always erase the consequences. The true idea of mercy is that I'm trusting your judgment for you to do what is best. Think about that. So we go to God and we're asking for mercy. Now Jesus has provided a way of escape from hell through the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. When, we, when someone goes to the Lord for salvation, they're going before the Lord. And it is a very serious thing. And you're saying, mercy. Mercy, mercy. I'm trusting your judgment to do what is best for you to do what is right. Now, God has already provided the payment of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus says, I've already paid that price. And he looks to the father and says, mercy. And God says, I'll be glad to give him mercy. I love you so much. The price has been paid for. Mercy is granted. Now, after we're saved, there are times that we still deserve mercy. Amen. Have you ever messed up and you knew you messed up? And you know you deserve consequences? You know what we have? We have a time of need. What do we need? Mercy. This is why the Bible gives us 1 John 1.9. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. What are you doing? Mercy. I need mercy. I need mercy, Lord. Now, imagine if you don't mind an illustration. Let's say that my youngest girl, she goes out and plays in the mud. All right, we're getting ready to go to church. Let's say that she's younger back then. We're getting ready to go to church. And right before church, 
She is dressed, beautiful dress, stockings. Uh, her hair's done nicely. Mom and sister have been working on her. And she goes out and plays in the mud. And right before church. And we look in and mud's dripping over. But she's having a great time because that's what kids do. Well, we look at her and say, oh man, look at your dirty and filthy. Now we're trying to get to church. And she goes, I'm sorry. And do we just say, okay, well, that's fine. Pat her on the head and say, let's go to church. What do we have to do beforehand? We have to cleanse her. We have to get her clean, get her a brand new dress, uh, change of clothes. We had to cleanse her. That's what God does. If we confess our sin, by the way, the word confess carries the idea to agree with. If I confess my sins, if I agree with God that I messed up, he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. What is that? Mercy. Mercy. A mercy in the time of need. When I mess up, I go to God and say, Lord, I know I don't deserve it. I'm trusting your judgment. I need mercy. And God says, I'll grant you mercy. And he just doesn't wave his hand and then say, go in your way. But he takes the time to cleanse us. To get us right. That's what we need the most. Is the cleansing. That's what he does. Anytime we have a need. Some people get to the place where they've sinned so much. And they've gone so far away from God. That they feel like God wouldn't take them back. So they don't even talk to him. They just get further distant away. And they go like God I wish I was back right with you. I wish I was back to the place that I was serving you. And they feel like they can't talk to God. But you know what this verse says? Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. When do I need mercy the most? When I'm the furthest away from God. When do I need mercy the most? When I messed up the most. I could come to him any time. It does not matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter how far you have gone. It doesn't matter how distant you are. You could always, always come back to God. Just ask for his mercy. Jesus allows that because he was in all points tempted as we were. He knows our frame. He knows what it's like to be human. And because of that, therefore, it says... We could go to the throne room of grace to ask for mercy in our time of need. There's something else. Not only mercy, but we also see grace. People define grace like this. Christ's riches, or God's riches at Christ's expense. They use that as an acrostic. God's riches at Christ's expense. What, are we, what is grace? It's getting, what we, it's getting things that we don't deserve. Mercy was not getting what we deserve. Grace is getting those things that we don't deserve. You know, God loves to give good gifts unto his children. Amen. That's something about kids. If you're a parent who loves your child, and you know that's something that is pleasing to them, and they haven't been a horrible little monsters, but they've been fairly decent, and you have the ability to give them something and they ask for it, wouldn't you do everything you could to give it to them? That's not going to hurt them. That's not going to spoil them. That, that you, don't you want to give good gifts unto your children? That's what grace is. 
God is able to give us grace. We don't deserve it. But we could go to him anyways because he's a good father who wants to give good gifts unto his children. God loves us that much. You know, some people are afraid to ask their father. Unfortunately, that shows that there's something wrong with that fellowship. Now, we understand that if your fellowship is wrong, you're not going to be able to freely ask. So let's take my youngest. My youngest is a good example today. So let's say that she goes up to me and says, Daddy, and she punches me in the face. And then says, can I have $20? Am I going to be inclined to give her $20 at that time? No. Why? Because our fellowship is off, right? That fellowship is going to need to be restored. But let's say that she's normal. She hasn't punched me in the face. And she comes to me and says, Daddy, I need $20 to go get this thing. And the thing's not harmful. It's not going to kill her. It's not whatever else. But I could tell that she really wants it. Don't you think that I would do what I could to give to her? What if she had a need? I was talking about a want, but let's say that she has a need. Dad, all of my clothes have holes in it. I have a need. Would you mind? Can you buy me some new clothes? Would me looking at it as her father say, you know what? You'll be fine. Suck it up. You'll be fine. But dad, you could see my toes through my shoes and they're not open hole open toe shoes. And it's winter. You're fine. You know, I can because she's my daughter, I want to meet her needs. Well, the Bible says that we can go boldly to the throne of grace to ask not only for mercy, but for grace in the time of need. God, I have a need. Can you help? You know, some people feel like they can't talk to God. But God says, I want you to talk to God. I want you to come to me. I want to give good gifts unto my children. I want to give you mercy when you need it. I want to give you grace when you get it. But you have to come to me. Show me, watch again in verse number 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in the time of need. We talked about mercy. We spoke about grace. But notice this, we could come boldly, boldly. You know what that means? We have permission to go in. We have permission to go in. I heard of a story, a true story of a, of a, a man who, um, or man who had a little boy and the little boy, his dream was to always go into Buckingham Palace. He wanted to see what it was like. The problem was, is that he's just a common little boy. Then it's not going to let him come in. And so he's looking in and, man, I wish I could get in. One day, uh, a stranger came up and says, you want to go see the palace? Sure. Took the little boy by the hand, nodded at the guards. The guards let him in and they walked right in and he showed the little boy all the things about Buckingham Palace. Later on, they found out this was the prince who let him in. The prince had access to the palace. The prince gave him access to get into the palace. Why do we have access to God? Because of the prince. Because of what Jesus Christ did. He has opened the door and has given us permission anytime we want, anytime we have the need, we can approach God. And we're not a stranger. The prince has given us permission to go in. 
We have access to God. And we can go boldly. Now, that boldly doesn't say disrespectfully. We're still talking to the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. It doesn't mean that you could go in and, yo, JC, what's up? That's not what it's speaking about. But it does say that we have permission. We can go boldly. You don't have to be timid about going to God in prayer. I meet people all the time who say, I don't feel like I can talk to God. I'm afraid to go talk to God. I mean, he's busy. He's got other things to do. You know, because God is immortal, he is outside of time. He literally has all the time in the world for you. He wants to hear from you. My wife gives an illustration like this. Could you imagine having a kingdom and a, and a castle? And there's a lot of things going on. A lot of things that need to be taken care of. A lot of things having the, uh, needing the king's attention. But then a little commoner comes up and needs to talk to the king. And the king takes, puts the little boy on his lap and makes it, even though there's lots of things going on, it's like there's nothing else in the world more important than that little boy. The king's got his undivided attention. When you go to the Lord in prayer, nothing else matters to him at that time than you talking to him. Now, this is because God is outside of time and he controls everything out there. But when you talk to God, he is not busy. He is not playing solitaire. We all have people who talk on the phone like that, that we could play solitaire and not Half, just halfway come to the conversation. We all have relatives and people that we have to talk to that we could set the phone down and go walk away and come back and pick up the phone and go, uh-huh, uh-huh, and they didn't even know we were gone. God doesn't do that to us. When we go to the throne room of grace, we have his undivided attention. He has given us permission to go in at any time. You will not disturb him. He is not too busy. There's not going to be an answering machine. There's not a voice call. There's not one for English and two for Espanol. You get a live God every time you pray. And you are not bothering him. You are not disturbing him. You could talk to him. And it is because of the great high priest that we have. Jesus Christ has given us access to God. To talk to him at any time. Anywhere. Any place. Under any condition. It doesn't matter if you've messed up and you're far from God. You could talk to him and come back. It doesn't matter if you have a great pressing need. You could go and talk to God. It doesn't matter if you have a small little need. You could talk to God. You could talk to him even if you didn't have anything you needed. You just wanted to say, hey, how are you doing? You still have permission to go talk to him at any time. It is because of our great high priest. So let me ask you a question. How's your prayer life? Are you talking to God? He's given you permission. You could talk to him at any time. And there's no hold. There's no lines. There's no callbacks. You could talk to him right then and there. At any time. Are you taking advantage of the access that you have? Can you talk to him? Do you want to talk to him? There are some people who don't talk to God because they don't want to. Well, that's a you problem. God says, I want to talk to you anytime. 
Anytime you want to speak to me. Anytime that you have a need. Whether it's grace or mercy. Come boldly. You have permission. Anytime you just want to stop by and say hello. You're never going to bother me. I'm not too busy that I'm doing something. Come and talk to me. It's all because of our great high priest. That we have access to God's throne room of grace. Are you using it? Are you talking to God? Or is there something keeping you from talking to him? Is there something that's keeping you distant and away from him? Let me tell you that you can talk to God any time you want. Maybe there's someone in here that needs grace. There's a need that you have in your life that you know. It's upcoming. It's right there. You need something from God. I want to encourage you. To go and talk to God. In just a moment, we're going to have an invitation. There's nothing magical about these altars. But we're inviting you to respond. Maybe some of you just need to come and say, Lord, I'm coming to your throne room of grace. I'm coming because I have a need. Maybe there's someone in here that needs mercy. You've been building up some sins. Maybe there's a time that you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior. Let me tell you, you could receive God's mercy today and be forgiven of all of your sins. Every single one of them could be washed away. And we'd be glad to show you from the Bible how you could get that mercy from God. Maybe you are saved and you just know that you've been getting distant from God in His life. You could come to Him today and get mercy. Get mercy. Are you taking advantage of the great privilege we have in prayer. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you. Thank you.